podcast. This week I'm going to try something new and take the title literally by going around the country to talk to three former guests to cover three different topics. I'll talk some Husky football with Michael Sandin in the first segment, then completely shift gears and talk NBA rookies with Caleb Clearman, and we'll finish it off with a little Celtics talk with my man Sam Schilling. Hopefully we've got a little something for everyone here with this one. Here's our only non-alliteratively named guest to start it off, Michael Stanton. Enjoy. All right, I'm back with my man, Michael Stanton, to talk about the Washington Huskies. Stanton, I'm proud of us. You know why? Why is that? Uh, well, the last time we had a really depressing loss was ASU, and we podcasted before then, and then we didn't podcast for another week after that um, because I think we were just too miserable and we thought we jinxed us. And uh, it might have seemed like we'd given up, you know, like we, we didn't want to do this anymore. But, you know, we're right back on the horse. Yeah, it, uh, it shows great, uh, great fortitude on our part. So uh, nice job hanging in there. Yeah, so, some great resolve. It's the, it's the Bloody Mary when you just you don't want it, but it, it's kind of what you need. Exactly. I hate Bloody Marys, for reference. I, <laughs> they're terrible, in my opinion. Yeah, but uh, it felt like the right thing to say. Anyways, uh, you, were, you were at the farm for the 30-22 the to 22, uh, upsetting loss against Stanford. What did you think of, of the Stanford environment there? Uh, I think I need to start off with the fact that I uh, almost got run over by a train on my way to the game. So Hell yeah. it's kind of a miracle that I'm here to begin with. Elaborate, um, please. It also was a good sign. It probably was a sign that we needed to just turn around and head home. But my dad decided to uh, get stuck in traffic on train tracks. And uh, the good old cow train came rolling around the corner. And we were probably about five, I'm not kidding, five seconds away from getting hit by a train. We skirted across right as the, as the uh, gate was dropping. We went under the gate as it dropped. And then five seconds later, the train rolled by. So that really got the... Uh, the juices flowing be- beforehand, but uh, Stanford was impressive. I mean, it's what you expect with Stanford. The campus is remarkable. Um, I still like our tailgate setup better because it's a bit more organized, whereas they kind of spread out all over. Totally, campus. yeah. But uh, like, there was a chandelier hanging from a, a tree. Bridge, no way. Just to give you an idea. So that's awesome. That was definitely Zuckerberg's tailgate. Yeah. So. Yeah, didn't even go to Stanford, but but he's he's just hanging out there. Yeah, um, yeah. We talked about this last time. It's it's a it's a cool place to go. We both saw losses there. Um, I did a lot of yelling at, at some people who probably make a lot of money last time I was there. Uh, ho- hopefully, you you behaved yourself better than I did. Yeah, I was with uh, my dad and my grandpa, so I was uh, trying to keep it in check a bit. Yeah, well. Well done. Well done. You're you're just a classier guy than me. That's that's all there is to it. But I was able to focus on the game, so I have uh, some things to say. Great, great. Well, uh, despite the heartbreaker last week, it is our duty to move the conversation and for conversation forward and dive deep on the dogs. We'll start with our four down segment, but we're so pissed off about how that game went that we're just going to do two downs today. Uh, we're basically going to kneel twice, and then the game should be over. Uh, Stanton, first down is always yours. Take it away again. Uh, I'm just going to give a brief overview of my thoughts on the game. Nothing specific. But uh, it started off really well. We uh, went down, well, we forced them to punt initially. And then uh, we went down and scored, utilizing that uh, hurry-up offense that we've seen um, intermittently this season. And it's always seemed to work pretty well. Um, I'm no football expert at all, but 
I just it kind of confuses me why we don't try that more often. Um, something to notice: Savan Ahmed got the got the start this week. It probably doesn't really mean much, but uh, it was good to see him involved early. But after that uh, that run for four yards, they passed it to him as well. He I don't think he got a touch for the rest of the game. No, uh, you're right. Offense, which was a little odd, um, given his involvement in previous weeks and his success in that uh, regard. So. I would have liked to. Uh, they they put him in motion a lot to kind of uh, to kind of show that end around that we've used a few times with them. They never went to that, but uh, I would have liked to see see him get a few more carries. Uh, but with that said, Gaskin was on point. Um, he was one of the bright spots of the evening. 18 carries for 120 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, where the offense kind of faltered, in some cases, Miles Gaskin kept it rolling like he has all season. So that was good to see. Um, I think the turning point was that third and 18 penalty that on Vita Vea that oh, yeah. either it was a hands to the face or a face mask, I couldn't tell. Face mask, yep. Uh, yeah, it's early. I think it was early third quarter. Um that was an absolute backbreaker and kind of reminded me of the penalty we had in the Arizona State game on uh, Savon Ahmed's end-around touchdown that was called back. Yeah. It just, uh, it seemed like we were going to, you know, get off the field, make them punt. We were still up 14 to, I think, 10 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we were able to get off the field uh, in the next play, I think... Or a couple plays later. No, yeah. it was the yeah. very next play. Yeah, right. next, Love, next play he scored. Mm-hmm. And the rest is pretty much history. We After that after that uh, drive on offense, we went punt, fumble, and punt, with that last drive being negative 19 yards. So at that point, it was 30 to 14, and uh, that's actually when I left. My dad was like, we're beating the traffic, as dads always do. And uh, it was over. So, unfortunate. Yeah, it sounds like that train just scarred him. He didn't didn't want to even yeah. deal with anything. He was rattled. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly on the the Vita Vea fu- or play was just a backbreaker. The the Gaskin fumble. There was just no opportunity to gain offensive momentum in that second half. Um, and, and you know, I I think the Huskies could have played that style of game, that kind of keep away, uh, you know, grind it out, run run the you know, run it to win it type of game that they, they beat Arizona on last year. They just didn't have the ball. I mean, it was it was just impossible to stop Stanford on third down. We've talked about third down a lot this year. Um, and, and as a result, you just, you know, you, you came up short because you couldn't stop Bryce Love and you couldn't you couldn't get enough offensive rhythm going uh, to put points on the board. Uh, yeah, it was it was a tough one. Are, are you willing to, to move to second down? Yeah, I just want to emphasize that third down point that you just mentioned. I was watching – Stanford Stadium uh, did a good job of listing all those team stats across the uh, scoreboards at all times. So I was watching that third down, uh, that third down stat, and they finished. Stanford finished ten for eighteen, but I think at one point they were like ten for thirteen, and we were like two for five or something. Right. And I just knew, like, okay, that's probably the main reason why we're struggling here. We just can't convert, as they were converting on seemingly every play or every third down up to that point. Um, They also got that fourth down where they fumbled it forward, it looked like, for a yard and got the first down. It wasn't really apparent what happened in the stands, but I think that's what happened. Yeah, Um, yeah. And coupled with that, 
we also were over two on fourth down. So conversions, third and fourth down efficiency really killed us this past weekend, and Stanford was on their game in that department. So uh, that's one of the main reasons as well that um, they were able to come out on top. And time is possession as well, 36 minutes to 24 minutes. It was just a landslide for the majority of that game. Yeah, I mean, when you don't have the ball and you, you can't, you can't, you know, have have big plays on offense. You just you, it's hard to score, and that's what that's what happened with with UW, and you ended up with with Stanford playing exactly into that, where uh, they had the ball, and therefore they they could keep the ball moving. Um, I'll go to the second down here and just talk about this Washington team. Still, I mean, you're talking about this this incredibly talented team that that anyone you know three or four years ago with this program would have killed to have. Uh, but this team just had fatal flaws, and and I think as much as you know, we can talk about how close we were to beating Stanford. Just a couple plays break one way, and same thing with Arizona State. I just don't know if this team really ever had what it would have taken to be a playoff team this year. There was just, um, there, you know, you could never really find the the perfect rhythm for Gaskin, Coleman, and, and Ahmed. Um, you thought, you know, by the end of the season, you kind of figured that out. Our last two podcasts, we had talked about. How you know those are your three or four best guys? Got to get the ball in their hands, and then Savon Ahmed gets gets two two touches. You know, and it's just I I don't think they ever figured out the rhythm for getting those guys involved. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I th- I think going off the point that this team probably wasn't capable of making or being a uh, competitive playoff team. I mean, everybody knows it, but that schedule definitely uh, definitely was just padded. Uh, our stats and made us kind of prop us up a bit but you know when we face adversity this year uh whether it be arizona state or stanford we've we failed because there isn't really any other game maybe the first half of the rutgers game but other than that we've just been blowing teams out but those teams that we're blowing out are not good at all so yeah um, we should have seen it coming in a way uh but at the same time you you still are think remembering the team of last year that was able to beat Stanford forty four six. Yeah, so, yeah, um, most definitely. We was, we talked. Yeah. We talked. Uh, I think before the Arizona State game, we talked about how this team really hadn't been tested, and how that that Arizona game a year before that went into overtime, um, in a game that Washington should have won handily, and, and you know ended up squeaking it out. That's not the worst thing in the world to go on the road and, and win a game uh, close in the conference early in the season to kind of dust off the nerves and, and, and prove to the team that, that that's, that's what it takes to win a game like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It would have, it would have been very useful in this case. Yeah. And that, that was the opportunity there with the ASU game is, is winning that would have kind of provided some sort of, of similar experience, but uh, who knows some other fatal flaws that this team had. Chris Peterson mentioned it uh, briefly in his press conference, but something I didn't think about was just last year's team was was it felt like the the all the the scoring drives were five plays it was a five play 75 yard drive four play 80 yard drive that type of thing where you're hitting guys down the field uh big gashing plays this team just didn't have that really this year um in terms of the personnel it was hard to to just make that happen you know you didn't have john ross obviously um and that opened up a whole lot of other things but could never really get Pettis into that same role, hitting him down the field. Hunter Bryant was kind of that guy, and then you lost him. And then, you know, just never got the ball enough to Savon Ahmed to, uh, to to get that as well. And and on the other side of the ball, last season we lived and, lived and died off of turnovers. I think we, we either led the country in, in takeaways or we were up there yep. uh, with, with the best. And this year has not been the case at all. Yep. So And those, those obviously totally change games. So... 
uh, that has been a big loss and uh, for us this season as well. Yeah, I mean, last year's team had 33 forced turnovers. This team has 16. Um, obviously, you know, still up to three or four games to go for the Huskies, but they're not going to reach that total of 33 forced turnovers. And, you know, it's 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 hard to stay on defense for that long when you can't force a turnover, um, especially in these conference games where they've really struggled to do that. You saw how backbreaking that fumble by Gaskin, only a second of his career, yeah. was in this game. This, that basically was the capper. Yep, yep. And I mean, if just the, where that happened on the field, too, and, and on the, the second or third play of the drive, uh, and just, just allowing Stanford to get good field position was just, you know, it's just poor timing. But obviously, you can't put that game on, on Gaskin. Last fatal flaw. No, not at all. Last fatal flaw. Do you think you can guess what it is? I don't even want to say that. go for it. <laughs> Uh, it's the kicking game, man. It was. It's. It's just. Uh, it's. It's a. It. There were no missed field goals, but the fact that there were. Um, there's not even an option to kick at this point uh, with the Huskies. Is is more the, the issue there? At the end of the first half, it's it's third and six. I think on the the Stanford 18 yard line. So even if you don't gain any yards, you're looking at a third, 35 yard field goal. Um, that's, that's a field goal. Everybody in college football has got to, got to be able to make, or at least you have to feel good that you can attempt that because of the circumstances, the Huskies ran twice and eventually turned the ball over on downs. Uh, and Stanford was able to get three points before the end of the half. Um, and now it's, it's looking at a one score game going into halftime instead of a two score game. So hard to know what would have happened. Um, if that didn't happen, if, if, if the Huskies were able to, to hit a field goal there to go up 17, seven. However, uh, you know, you definitely lost the Arizona state game as a result of the kicking game. And, you know, it's just great college football teams. They don't have this problem. Yeah, it's, it's pretty disappointing. I mean, we've been lucky, um, over the past several seasons where we've had, uh, I wouldn't say great kickers by any means, but solid at the, at best. I mean, at worst. Right. Um, so it's definitely been, I, I expected more from Viscano this year just because he's been around the system and been around the program for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we see what happens when you go below Viscano uh, with Van Soderberg. Yeah. And by the way, I didn't even realize his first name was Van until halfway through the season. I thought that it was just a misprint and that was his last full last name. So did you think? Did you think his relevant that guy is? No offense to him. Did you think his name was Jet Toner by chance? No, but that is one of the greatest names I've seen uh, in college football. Yeah, I spotted that out a, a, a few weeks ago, um, looking at a Stanford box box score, and was just blown away. Um, but then uh, to to see that you know Jet Toner was kind of breaking our back over and over was uh, was tough. Shouts out to, to Phil Smeraldo, who had an absolute field day on Twitter once he found out that Van Soderberg or that uh, Jet Toner was the the kicker for Stanford. Um, I, I think it's time to put Stanford to bed. To bed, uh, we got a you know a, a pretty good game in the in the conference coming up this weekend. Uh, Utah, I think Utah is probably the Huskies. I don't know second or third best test this season in general. Um, five and five team. Yeah, honestly, that's that's kind of the sad reality here. Is is you know Stanford was by far the best team you'd have played this year, and uh, and you saw what happened. So Utah is coming into town, five and five team. Uh, what do you know about Utah? What are you what are you concerned about? Um, what is your general level of confidence heading into this game? Well, Utah has won one of the last six. Um, that win being a forty eight seventeen uh, murder of USC. So um, 
I don't know if you can really look into that that or UCLA. Yeah, sorry. There you go. I don't know if you, if you can really look into that that much. Yeah, no no um, Rosen in that game either. Yeah, exactly. But in their they did start off four four now. They beat Arizona at Arizona. Um, which is nothing to. I think that was that was the uh, the the B the BBT era the before Brandon Tate. Yeah, exactly. Great call. Or Khalil um, Khalil Tate. My bad. Khalil Tate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in their losses, they've been pretty. They played teams pretty close. They lost at home to Stanford by three. They lost at USC by one. Uh, ASC blew them out by twenty, mm-hmm. uh, and so did Oregon by twenty one. But they held. They were only. They only lost to the Cougs by eight last weekend, and I think they turned the ball over five or six times in that game. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you'll, you're never going to win if you have five or six turnovers. So take away that aspect. Oh, seven turnovers, actually. Take away that aspect, and you might be looking at a, at a loss for the Cougs. So Utah's nothing to look past. I mean, they're a, good, they're a decent team. They can, they can beat you um, mm-hmm. on their day, but you got to like the fact that we're back at home where we've seen be pretty capable of beating anybody granted the teams we played at home haven't been the greatest teams as we've mentioned but i still like our chances this weekend yeah utah is a, is a talented team on offense um tyler hundley their, their quarterback might be the best quarterback that we've seen this season outside of rosen obviously we saw kind of a, a weird version of josh rosen in that ucla game uh although i was impressed with kj costella but but hundley is a, is a du- dual threat guy um, was obviously able to to um, to secede Troy Williams there in Utah, so he's got some talent. Um, can make plays on the run. He has a lot of rushing yards this season. Uh, this team's talented, right? But they they're the defense is kind of the the hole there. They've given up an average of thirty points a game over their last five games, um, and that number is is brought down because of that you U- sorry UCLA game that you talked about. This team's got some talent on offense, as we just said. Darren Carrington uh, rears his ugly head again. He was a uh, Big time target for Oregon a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember the the Vernon Adams game in 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 Seattle, where Adams just kind of had his way with the UW defense again. Was able to just make some crazy throws. Carrington was on the receiving end of a few of those. Um, that's another point I had here. Chris Peterson called Darren Carrington the best receiver in the conference. Maybe if not if not the best, one of the best. How do you feel about that? Uh, pains me to say it because he's a former Duck, but I think he has a point there. He was the leading receiver for the Ducks last season. Um, believe he got kicked off the team, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And then, uh, because he had already graduated or something along those lines, he was able to play immediately at Utah. I could be wrong with that, but I think that's how it went down. Um, but yeah, he's he's definitely capable. He's familiar with the conference. It's not like he's coming from some you know D2 team and and something like that. He he's been around the block a few times, so uh, uh, definitely something to look for. With that said, I think there's a chance that we could see Byron Murphy this weekend back in action. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Don't bank on it, but I know he's close, and he's uh, he's hinted at that on Twitter uh, as of last weekend. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that comes to fruition. Insider information. I like it. Uh, yeah, the uh, the receiver point is is just especially important because UW's two losses this year, I think, were against two of the best receivers in this conference. Uh, Nikhil Harry for ASU is just a freak, and we could not cover him um, to, to to get off the field in that game. And then JJ Arcega Whiteside just was was too big, too talented for for the UW corners this year. So uh, Murphy, you know, you're asking him to step up into that role as a freshman. Uh, but he, I think he he does. He's just a little bit more talented than than the guys that we're throwing out there right now. I agree. 
It'll be, it'll be exciting to see him back on the field because he was, um, I mean, statistically against, you know, not great opponents, but statistically had the lowest QBR of any cornerback in the Pac-12 until he got hurt. So uh, he's capable. So we'll see. Yeah, I think him and him and uh, Hunter Bryant are going to be the the small sample size superstars for next year. Of thinking, you know, think about what they did in in just a few games and extrapolate that over a full season once they're healthy. So exciting times uh, for those guys, at least um, on on the horizon for the dogs. We'll talk just a little bit towards the end of this now as about the uh, the new battle that the Huskies are in. We spent a lot of time, probably about an hour's worth of airtime over the last couple of weeks, figuring out how to get UW into the playoff. That is realistically no longer an option. So the new normal for the Huskies is talking about how do we just get into the Pac-12 championship game? Uh, and that's the new scenario, a lot less complicated than the other ones that we're trying to figure out. Yeah, it's unfortunately not likely because it all hinges on, well, one thing happening first, which is Cal beating Stanford this weekend. Um, but secondly, we obviously need to win against Utah and beat the Cougars in the Apple Cup. So if Stanford wins this weekend against Cal, they will represent the North uh, no matter, no. If, no, if not WSU yet. Wins, if WSU wins the Apple Cup, they will represent the North. They're the only team that has uh, the complete control in that case. Um, Stanford I just don't see them losing to Cal. Um, so, I don't know. It's not looking likely. I think we have the worst odds of those three teams. But I guess, you know, that's just how it has uh, kind of fallen. Yeah, we, someone would have to, to resuscitate the, the Cal Golden Bears uh, to get them ready to play. They've just been absolutely hapless throughout the season. And, and asking them to beat beat Stanford like we just you know, the team we just saw this week with, uh, you know, a Heisman front runner Bryce Love and a quarterback who's starting to get some confidence and a team that really, you know, wants to wants to avenge their season after some early losses. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, however, playing spoiler for the Cougs getting into the, the Pac-12 championship, I, I'm into that, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's still something to play for. That's a mini bowl game before the real bowl game. And, hey, you can never write off a rivalry game. I know Cal's a super long shot. I think they're 16-point dogs right, as of right now. But uh, it is a rivalry game. So yeah, that's something you can hang your hat on, I guess. Yeah, and so as we're kind of doing our, our normal playoff segment here, um, rearranged for the Pac-12 North scenario, uh, we're changing our, our drink of choice. We, we spent a lot of time hyping up Hawk Juice and, and how – uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes tailgate juice was was you know what we were sipping on because we needed Iowa to win a couple big games. They came through once or twice for us, so uh, thank you so much, Iowa fans. Sorry we let you down. We we really never deserved hot juice from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, we we we, we spoiled it, right? We, we 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 weren't ready for that responsibility. Yeah, we we dropped the cup, right? We just a huge party foul with the hot juice, but we're moving on now. We want some some bear sauce. Is that what we came up with? Yeah, yeah, you were the one who coined that. Um, I think we should just leave it at that because it's just a very weird sounding <laughs> term. So, bear sauce. Bear sauce. Uh, yeah, don't think too hard about it. Um, but yeah, go Cal, go Cal this weekend. One last thought. I mean, obviously the the Huskies are bowl eligible. It just immediately makes me think of the days when we would have to grind out wins at the end of the season just to make a bowl game. Um, those those days are are over um, for the foreseeable future here, which is which is good news. It's just a different state of the program. Um, obviously, you want to be at the top, but but you know having a, a solid baseline where you can consider the season a, a disappointment and still you know easily make a bowl game is um, is great news. 
so uh, bowl season's coming up in a, in a few weeks here. Uh, come mid-December, it'll it'll start happening. You'll get all the, the Capital One, Jingle Bells commercials, and all that good stuff. Uh, we will play probably a, a, another high-ranking team from a different conference. Are, are there any teams that you'd, you'd just be, you know, it'd be fun to play? Like a few years ago, it was fun to play Baylor um, to, to, you know, see how we stack up against against a, a Pac-12 or a Big 12 team. Are there any teams that you're like, wow, I want, I want to see us against them? I think whoever falls from the kind of four-headed monster that is Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan would be kind of fun because uh, they get so much attention uh, all season. I think it would be fun to kind of match us up against one of those. Uh, and, you know, prestigious program too, so there will be a good uh, following from the fan perspective, and uh, it would just be a classic matchup. Um, I think at this point – we're looking at either the Alamo Bowl or the Holiday Bowl is where we'll fall. And if we fall in the Alamo Bowl, um, it'll be the Big 12. Holiday Bowl will be against the Big 10. Mm-hmm. So good shot if we are number three in the conference in the Holiday Bowl. Yeah, I think that TCU game would be would be a fun one. There's obviously a chance that we get Oklahoma State uh, as well, yep. which would be a little bit of a revenge game for, for um, Chris Peterson's Huskies playing against, um, playing against the Cowboys a couple years ago in the bowl game and losing. So yeah, who could forget that, uh, that game would be, would be fun. Um, that was a nice send off of, of Siler miles, career. Uh, so yeah, just, just kind of, you know, those, those mid tier bowl games are just kind of good, uh, you know, good barometers for, for how your team stacks up. Um, you know, we've talked about the lack of competition that, that UW has faced this whole season. Um, so there is some opportunity to see how this team, um, how good this team really was, because like you said, we whooped a bunch of really bad teams to start the season, and uh, now we're kind of curious as to to what we had this this whole season. Was this team legit, or were we just kind of you know front runners a little bit? And the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. How can you not get excited about that? Yeah, I'm I'm of the opinion that the more the more words in a bowl game title, the more I want to be involved in that game. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I mean the, the craft fight hunger. Like if if your bowl game can have three to five words in it, you're doing you're doing a good job. Like holiday bowl just doesn't doesn't do enough for me. Yeah, yeah, that's why we need to get that credit union on top of that. Yeah, so. yeah, maybe the overstock.com, You know, at home with the L bowl. How about that? Yeah, that would be beautiful. I would go to that. I don't care where it is. <laughs> if it's in like Birmingham, Alabama, or Biloxi, Mississippi, I'm there. Yeah, I think that game might occur on Xbox Live um, somewhere. So that's that's how we make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, this was obviously – we had a lot of misery to, to deal with this time. So uh, not as fun talking about Pac-12 North scenarios as, as uh, Final Four scenarios. But I think we had a good time. I think um, you know we kind of we kind of realized that this team was – just it, it wasn't going to happen this year, right? Yeah, it was. It even with one loss, I know we had one loss last year and got in, but with one loss this year, it just seemed like such a farther stretch uh, for various reasons. So, um, I hate to. I, I don't want to say this because uh, I, I. It sounds bad, but there's part of me that just is kind of happy it's over mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like if weight we has been lifted. Out, there's, there, yeah, there's still a good chance that we weren't going to make it in. Um, to the playoffs and now i just can know for sure like we're not in so i've already actually booked the ski trip for that uh f- that week after christmas i uh, don't have to think about possibly booking a trip to uh 
LA or to, um, I forget, is it the Sugar Bowl? I think the Sugar Bowl's the other semi. Yeah. As much as I'd love to go to either one of those and see the dogs. Yeah, it's nice to, like, not be, you know, you're free to just make whatever New Year plans you wanted to do. So, um, yep. yeah, we're we're just like sadly talking ourselves into to uh, <laughs> to. This uh, is okay. Yeah, we'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. It's like Stockholm syndrome with this team. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got a chance to to end the season ten and two, beat the Cougs, uh, make it to a fun bowl game, and and we'll see what happens there. So um, we're okay with this. We are. We really are. Uh, thank you for listening, Stanton. Uh, great job tonight, uh, and we'll probably talk uh, next week after a, a huge speed down, right? Yeah, hopefully. Let's, All right. uh, let's uh, hope that happens. Win or lose, always good to talk a little bit of dogs with Stanton there. We're going to switch trains and hop over to talk about the phenomenal rookie class in the NBA with Caleb Clearman. All right, I'm talking here with uh, with my NBA bartender counterpart here, just Caleb Clearman tonight, no Jordan Coots. He's busy with his head in a book somewhere. Um, but we're talking about the NBA, and there's there's too much to talk about in the league in general. So we're gonna we're gonna narrow it down. We're I think I don't know. I'm just telling you this, Caleb, right now. But uh, I think we're we're gonna do this a lot. We're just gonna gonna pick a different sort of zone of the NBA to talk about. Tonight we're going to talk about the rookies because they have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you're looking at a bunch of rookies who are really valuable players for their their teams right now. Um, so, uh, Caleb, I'm going to try and guess your top five rookies, but yeah. but you've got you've got your own list going. Um, I, yeah, I I I uh, couldn't narrow it down, so I have six. Well, it's kind of five and a half, but yeah. Well, I mean. I know I know who's at the top, and he doesn't really count as a rookie, so that this should work out. Ooh, that'll be fun to discuss. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that your fifth rookie, uh, basically, what I'm saying is my fifth rookie is OG Ananobi. Uh, no, but he has he has been good. He was kind of the guy in the draft that no one was really sure what he was going to be since he didn't play yeah. in college last year. But yeah, he's like super freaky athletic and plays good defense. And the Raptors have kind of been off and on this year. They're finally trying new things, and it's kind of been fun to watch that. But yeah, he's he's a really good player. Yeah, I was uh, I was at the Celtics Raps game uh, in Boston on Sunday, and Ananobi was just he he leaps out. Obviously, he's way ahead of schedule. I mean, I don't think a lot of people expected him to play much at all this season because of that injury you mentioned and he just he looks awesome like he's just a dynamite transition guy and he hits open shots and uh he he locked Harden down last night yeah there's there's a bunch of guys like that this year that are just like long athletic kind of positionless players that that's kind of how the nba is moving and he's right at the top of that list of like young guys like yeah, really good in a few different spots. Also, I like that he he wears number six in Toronto. He's 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 a sav- <laughs> he's a savvy guy. Um, Taking over for for Corey Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. Um, big shoes to fill, but he's he's doing his best. Uh, you obviously did not have OG at your number five. Who was your number five? Uh, my number five. This might be a surprise because the team he's on is very bad. Is Lori Markkinen? Ooh. Yeah, uh, coming into the draft, I think everyone knew he had a lot of potential to be a really good offensive player. Um, he was kind of the guy at, at Arizona last year when they needed a bucket. They would had a couple different sets that they would run 
for him. Uh, don't tell Alonzo Trier that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, down down in the post, and then they could run him in some some pick and pop stuff. And we've kind of seen that transition over to the Bulls. Um, I mean, the Bulls don't really have anyone else that does anything, so marketing's kind of been thrust into a role of hey, we need you to score and. He's been pretty good this year. He's averaging like 14 and a half and shooting 35% from three, which, you know, for a seven-footer is pretty excellent. Yeah, I think when you're a seven-foot guy in general playing in the league, your first step when people watch you is not looking like a stiff. Like, that is is the key thing. You you can't look like a stiff. If you look like a stiff, it's going to be hard to do anything else. Porzingis never looked like a stiff. I don't think marketing is going to be that type of player. But he definitely doesn't look like a stiff. He, he, he holds his own. He moves well. Uh, he's, he's shooting threes at a good clip in terms of his percentages. He's like 35. Uh, but he's just shooting a lot. Like the, the Bulls are just letting him shoot through it because they have literally no one else to, to take shots. Um, Markkinen has shot three more threes this year than J.J. Redick. How about that? That's a very surprising stat. Uh, the one thing that I've been impressed with him on is kind of the knock on him coming in was that he wasn't a very good defender but he's been he's been pretty good I mean the Bulls just play horrible defense in general but I think he's going to be okay there moving forward as well yeah definitely uh I'm glad you had that I had I had marketing as my number four um okay ahead of OG so so who is your fourth guy uh my four is Dennis Smith oof okay yeah uh probably lower on the list than you would expect it. I know we're both big Dennis Smith guys, but uh, yeah, he's he's been kind of the spark plug that the Mavs need. Uh, the Mavs, kind of like the Bulls, aren't really going anywhere this year, um, and that's sad to say for, for Dirk. But uh, yeah, Dennis Smith, is he, he looks every bit the mini Russell Westbrook that people thought he was going to be. Yeah, I'm looking at a, a little list here that has Dennis Smith right behind Frank Mason and right ahead of Josh Jackson for for rookie win shares right now. Um, not not great company, but but I think <laughs> no no one expected Dennis Smith to to come in and win a lot of games. Um, but you're yeah, yeah, you're seeing the what's what his role in the league is going to be. He's basically like like millennial Stephon Marbury. Um, Did you see him just? go absolutely right by Pau Gasol last night like he wasn't even there yeah on his face yeah he uh he is a vicious vicious athlete yeah I'm I'm all for him in the dunk contest this year that'd be really fun yeah I love when rookies are in the dunk contest because I also love when small athletic guys can just jump out of the gym and he definitely fits that category too off the dribble too in like the middle of an NBA game yeah he uh He he has athleticism to burn, and the you know he's he's going to have to improve his decision making. Obviously, not the you know you talk about young Westbrook. Westbrook had had Durant to and Harden to, to pitch it too early in his career. Exactly. Dennis is not dealing with that sort of talent around him in, in Dallas. Um, he's he's got to you know stop turning the ball over as much. Uh, but I think you're you're seeing the foundation for for what could be a really exciting player. Yeah, and and like you said, the turnovers, you know, but they're. They're trusting him with the ball. I think he's uh, actually first on their team in, in usage rating this year, and he's second in scoring behind uh, Harrison Barnes. So, you know, they're putting a lot on his shoulders, like right from the get go, and he looks like he's going to be able to handle it. Uh, are him and Dirk on exact opposite ends of athleticism? Of just like being able to move. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think yeah. they are literally the polar opposite athlete. athlete. Uh, but they, <laughs> but they both play the same sport, which is just the the yeah. nutso thing about about the NBA. The the one thing with uh, Dennis moving forward too is you know his ability to develop a little bit of a jump shot. Like if he can start knocking down threes too, he's going to be a nightmare to guard. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely got to keep your eye on. And anytime you know we we've got league pass set up, but anytime you're you're get a chance to watch Dallas. Uh, he'll give you something, whether it's just a ridiculous decision in the bad yeah. direction or that type of dunk that you described. Yeah, uh, he's he's sneaky, one of the best in-game dunkers in the league, which is, I guess, kind of surprising for a point guard. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we like that. Um, next guy that I had on my list, and, and if, if if I'm getting into to your head a little bit, uh, John Collins would be my guy. Yeah, uh, I I didn't have him on my list. He was one of the guys that I kind of looked at. Um, you know, he's kind of in the same boat as Markinen and, and Dennis with just being on a terrible team and getting reps. Yeah. That's going to be good for him moving forward. What I like about Collins is that coming out of, of Wake, his I mean, his, his skill set was he's a great rebounder and he's very efficient. Like he hits a high percentage of, of his shots. He's athletic, you know, he can block shots. He's already doing all of those things that are at a really nice level in the NBA. Like even if he never got any better, you could see, uh, see the role that he could play. Uh, it's yeah, just definitely. being the same player he was in college. Uh, but I think that his body is such and, and, uh, his, his like skill set is such where he could get way better than he already is. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, and you know the Hawks. Like I said earlier, they're not. They're another team that's not really going anywhere. So, you know, the more he's on the floor and playing and developing a relationship with Schroeder, who it seems like I don't know is Dallas's like centerpiece, which is kind of weird to say. But you know, the more those two get accustomed to being in a pick and roll situation and mm-hmm. sharing the ball, I think yeah, Collins. Collins has a bright future as well. Yeah, yeah, big big Collins guy. But who's your number three? Um, my number three, and this might hurt you a little bit, um, is Dylan Brooks. Woof. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're both, uh, haters of the University of Oregon. Certified. Um, for s- some of the same reasons and different reasons as well, but I was always a big fan of Brooks when he was there. He's, he's just a gamer and plays really good defense and, He's the third best player on a team that's probably going to make the playoffs in the West this year. Yeah, yeah. Brooks fits that mold. It was definitely you know those those tweener guys that you know they're, they're productive college players. They need they need to have a couple bounces career wise for them to end up in the right situation. And you know you watch Memphis play it. Memphis is just like dying for any sort of points that they can get outside of Gasol yeah. and Conley. And and Brooks is a guy who's like I, I can score. I I know how to do that. Um, so he's doing a lot of the same stuff, a lot of like the, you know, the herky jerky post moves, the, the transition yeah. stuff, the pull up stuff. Um, so yeah, he's, he's really settled in and he's doing it not in a, in a chucker way and kind of a composed, um, you know, within his game way, which is, which is good for him. Yeah. I, I kind of thought he has some, some Tony Allen potential. Like, I don't know if he's that good of a defender right now, but I think he can be, and he's already better offensively. Yeah, and, uh, I th- he's he's sitting at like a ninety-seven 
defensive rating right now, which, I mean, part of that helps playing on Memphis and the, the pace that they play at, but that's, like, 97 defensive rating is really good. Yeah, he's all... Second rookies right now behind Tatum. I, I, I also hope that he brings some of his college antics. Like, he's definitely the most likely guy to, like, slap the floor for the first time in an NBA game or, like... <laughs> Do like the hunched over clap in a guy's face, um, that sort of thing. So yeah, he's 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 fun to watch. I mean, that those Oregon basketball teams were like painfully likable, actually. To, to, painfully good. Yeah. Um, there's there's some other guys on those teams that that could qualify for this list, but um, but I, I don't know if any of them made there. But yeah, Dylan Brooks. That was not where I thought. But there's there's literally. Yeah like 20 guys that could make this list. There's so many, so many talented rookies, but uh, Brooks was not one of my top three. Um, I, I'm going to imagine we have the same guy here for two. This would be the first time that we, that we guessed correctly other than, than marketing. Uh, but Jake, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, it's, it's not because I have Simmons at two. Okay. Um, just, yeah. Let me breathe for a second, but <laughs> uh, I, 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 I kind of agree with you. Like I can see, you know, for, for those of us in, in the audience that, that don't know who's about to be one, it's 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 Jason Tatum. Um, but I, I took you as a guy who, who was getting baptized in the church of Ben Simmons. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He's more than I thought he was going to be for sure. Um, I, I wrote this down. There's three guys in the league right now that are averaging – more than 17 7 and 7 do you know who those three guys are uh one of them is is that that guy in cleveland um and the other is the mvp of last year oh okay yeah so pretty good company to be in when you're on a list with lebron and westbrook but yeah simmons is one of three guys in the league that's averaging 17 7 and 7 right now and and He's he's just like so present in games. It's you know he's not just like this stat filler guy like you kind of saw it at LSU. Yeah, like he's, he is running the show for in every way. He's like yeah. he's a defensive stopper. He's like picking off passing lanes. He's attacking the rim. Like he he is a force. He you know he doesn't show it. Like he's not this really emotional guy, but. He is like in full control of yeah, NBA well, games. You know, and Embiid takes the emotional for both of them. Oh so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Embiid, <laughs> like yeah, those two together moving forward, like that is a serious contender in the East. We're we're running out of guys that Joel Embiid has said cannot guard him. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's he's he's disqualified a lot of a lot of dudes from being able to guard him. But yeah, Ben Simmons. Um, the question I was uh, had prepared for when we got to him at the top, but um, very proud of you for taking him second here. Was <laughs> It's it's weird. Like the Sixers' assist percentage goes up when he leaves, um, but they're way worse. So they like spread the ball more, and like Simmons doesn't touch as much because, or like if it's not dominated by, by one person. But they kind of need it to be. Like he he just he affects the game so much. Uh, the question I was going to ask you was: Blake Griffin was the last guy that really came on like this and had kind of that that faux rookie season where you have yeah. the, you know, you're injured for your first season. So you're actually in your second year, but you're playing your first year. And, and Blake was the guy who just dominated Blake's season numbers that year were 22, 12 and four 
Ben is at 18, 9, and 8 right now, um, or thereabouts, which both of those are astronomical. But which guy was more dominant during that, that year, Simmons now or, or Blake then? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a very interesting question. And the one thing that I kept coming back to was Blake did that on a team that went 32 and 50 and wasn't very competitive. Like, Pre Chris Paul. Yeah, Simmons, Simmons is the best player. Well, you could maybe say second best player with Embiid, but you know, he's one of the top guys on a team that's going to make the playoffs in the East. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both both of them are great and and just physically dominant at this point. Uh, but yeah, Simmons just seems it, like it, it, it's amazing how much better those guys are with a year off, like that, like you said, that full rookie year of of not playing, but you're in an NBA facility and you're watching film and you're working out every day. Like the the leap that those two have shown from college to now and just like over the other rookies in the league is pretty incredible yeah yeah i think there is something to it if you get that year to figure out the the non-basketball stuff um as a uh, coming out of the out of the draft um there's there's definitely some realities to that uh hopefully the other thing with with simmons that has been so impressive is how mature he is and oh yeah being the ball handler and being the guy like he he like just looks so comfortable in that role. Yeah, I think everyone got on him for like you know dogging it in LSU, but really, I mean, he was just like exposing the, the frauds of the NCAA of like I'm good enough to play in the NBA now. Why do yeah. I have to play with these yeah. suckers at LSU um, just for a year to to like basically waste a year of my career? But um, anyways, yeah, Simmons has been great. Let's hope uh, Markel Fultz, who seems like he's also going to sit out this entire year, uh, gets yeah. <laughs> gets that sort of of benefit coming into next year. Um, he, he will not make any rookie top fives for, for quite some time. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Uh, so your number one guy was my number two guy, but I'm totally fine with this. Uh, big Jason Tatum fan. We talked about Tatum last night. Jason Tatum has just been ridiculous. Like he, he's not putting up yeah. like 25 a game ridiculous, but it, just his efficiency is crazy. He's, he's averaging 50% from, from the field and from three, which yeah, he's, Nobody does yeah, that. Forty nine percent from three right now. I mean, granted, he's only taking about three a game, but still, like, you know, I think later in the year we're going to see those numbers go up, and the Celtics already trust him to take big shots, and you know, seeing him make those now is only going to give him more confidence moving forward. Yeah, he he's he's been nuts. I mean, he's unfazed. Like, first of all, he's he's by far the youngest guy that we're talking about. Um, marketing. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. He's he's only nineteen, isn't he? Yeah, nineteen. The only other guys that are rookies uh, that are nineteen that are performing nearly as well. Jared Allen in, in Brooklyn's been okay. Um, uh, the the UCLA center Anikbobu from last year yeah. is is nineteen, but he's not really playing. Uh, Frankie Smokes is nineteen, but you know, kind of been up and down. Jason Tatum is nineteen, won't be twenty until March, and is and is just yeah. like already an incredibly solid NBA player. Um, we talked about this last night, but you know, last year in Duke, he was a 34% shooter from three. That was kind of the knock on him is like, ah, he's a long two guy. How's that going to translate? Now he's hitting almost 50% from three. It's nuts. Yeah. And I think part of that is the, the offense he's in, uh, Stevens and the Celtics, they want these guys shooting threes and 
he's obviously been practicing because he, yeah, he looks like his, he's so confident in his stroke from, from anywhere. Like he, he's still knocking down those mid range twos. And that's kind of the thing that I thought was going to translate the best mm-hmm. for him. He, right. He's very good off like a pull up dribble mid range jumper. But yeah, to, like you said, to see him like make that step back and just draining three pointers in big moments too is it's really impressive yeah we, we... The, other, the other thing is his defense like people always talk about him at duke of having a really high defensive ceiling and you never really saw that because duke doesn't play the greatest defense but he, he's, duke, duke plays duke he's plays like recruiting top, yeah he's like in the top 10 in defensive rating this year yeah, it's unbelievable for a rookie. Most of the Celtics are in the top ten of the dis- defensive rating right now. Um, but yeah. the, the fact that, like we said, all these things together, like he's nineteen, uh, he has a bad haircut, like he has all these things against him, and and he's still able to perform as as high as he is. Um, it's just crazy. We we looked at his shot charts in in college versus now, and he's basically hitting the same shots that he was good at at Duke. Um, but you know, a team like, yeah, exactly. A team like Boston's like, Hey, you're a good shooter from this corner. We're going to have you shoot from this corner and you're going to get really good at it. Um, and it's, 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 it's astronomical that he's been, uh, this much a part of the team, even, especially after the Hayward injury, it was like, wow, this guy's going to get forced into a role. He's going to put in more shots. Yeah. He's been everything they could have hoped for. Yeah, uh, the the Celtics are are going gaga over over Tatum right now. Um, it'd be hard. I wrote down a question for you, please, um, about the Simmons Tatum thing. Yep. And the Rookie of the Year award. I think most people would say Simmons is you know the clear favorite, but if Tatum keeps playing like this and the Celtics win sixty games and get the one seed, isn't it hard to not look at Tatum in that spot? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is the same award that Michael Carter Williams won, right? Like, it's <laughs> exactly it doesn't mean much, but yeah, it's there's a case to be made that he could win. Yeah, and and I think in that that year, the the Carter Williams year, there wasn't there wasn't this other guy that you know, it's Carter Williams is just a stat machine. Um, Simmons is not a stat machine, like he is a stat machine, but he's but he's much more than that as a player. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I think. You said his numbers are going to go up. I, I think that his percentages are going to go down, but maybe his, um, you know, his usage and his scoring might go up as the season goes up, uh, season goes on. So, so we'll see. I, I think you know if if you had to vote right now, God, that's tough. I mean, it's 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 usually not not that tough. I mean, you're talking about Brogdon and Embiid last year. Obviously, Embiid played 31 games. So um, there's there's a lot to figure out throughout the season, but. And it kind of says what the NBA values at that point. You know, do you value this like hyper efficient guy who you know does everything right that he's supposed to, or do you don't value this guy who's just yeah, yeah, exactly? Or you value this guy who's just straight dominating um, and has to take a lot of shots, so his percentages don't look that good. So yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a a good case study for for what do you value in the NBA right now? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, the the Celtics. This run that they're on right now, I know it's early in the year, but to do it without their two best players, to just be relying on Tatum and Brown and just yeah. kind of this weird mix of and guys. And two other random rookies, Semi Ojale playing extremely well, and Daniel yeah. Tice also playing extremely well. That same, that same win shares list I saw, both those guys are in the top 13 
um, of of win shares in the NBA amongst rookies, which you know it's, it's just it's nuts that they can just throw these guys in um, and have them succeed at a high level. But uh, such is life when you're Brad Stevens and and you just have you are just uh, twice as smart as everyone you're going up against. Absolutely. Yeah. Quick, quick little stat before we go here. Uh, Blake Griffin that season that we talked about his rookie season, his faux rookie season, shot twenty four threes the whole year. Um, Blake Griffin. That's more than I thought. <laughs> yeah, honestly, right? You could tell he always wanted to, but Blake Griffin this year has already shot seventy five uh, wow. through through about fifteen games. Uh, so you know that's kind of you're just. Sh- show of how Blake's career has gone and also just, you know, the way the NBA's gone. yeah, it's, it's now a, a geometric sport, not a, uh, not what it used to be, but that's, uh, that's, that's for the best, I think. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I think Blake was kind of, I mentioned earlier the, the long athletic positionless guys. I think Blake was one of the first guys to really pave that path for these rookies coming in. It was, you know, just play hard, be athletic and you're going to find a spot somewhere. Yeah. And it's like, you know, he was, he was all like, we're getting into territory that wasn't plenty on, but you know, Blake could always dribble, Blake could always pass. And you know, when, when you can stick in the league long enough, cause you're physically dominant and then, you know, those skills start to set in and be, be a bigger part of your game. Then all of a sudden you have, you have the, the current iteration of the player you have. So um, yeah, lots of, lots of fun stuff. It's, it's fun to talk about these guys, you know, the, the guys we didn't name, holy cow. Uh, Kyle yeah, Kuz- shout out Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell has been great. Kyle Kuzma has been great. Uh, Jonathan Isaac is, is certainly fun to watch. Uh, yeah, the surprising Orlando magic. Yeah. I mean, Lonzo ball, like say what you want about him. Like he's, he's entertaining. Yeah, that guy's, guy's going to be a stud. Yeah, you can just tell the way he carries himself and the way the Lakers are just like here, dude. Win us basketball games. Yeah, I mean they they got to find other guys to shoot shoot the rock that are that are better than him, but uh, they will. And and you know Frankie Smokes in there, it, just so many guys uh, that we didn't get to who are are a part of this. And you know for the, for a league that has so much upward momentum to have this many guys who are contributing at a high level is just it's it's exciting, man. It definitely is. We're on track for a great rest of the season. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we'll, we'll we'll do this again. We'll talk about something other than rookies uh, next time we do this. But uh, it was fun to have you on. Good talking to you, man. Yep. Take it easy. Moving on to the grand finale here as I'll talk to Sam Schilling about how the Celtics are lighting the world on fire. Fair warning, I doubled down on some uh, some Jason Tatum gushing here. So I apologize in advance. Here we go. All right, I'm here with my guy on the ground out here in Boston to talk Celtics. Uh, the man who went to freaking Eurobasket to scout Daniel Tice, owner of a dope 86 Celtics championships hat, Sam Schilling. Sam, how are we doing tonight? Hey, doing pretty well. Sitting at uh, 13th straight and uh, waiting on the Warriors tomorrow, so things are looking pretty good for the Celtics. Yeah, Sam and I went to the Celtics and Raptors game together on Sunday for what was their 12th straight win. Uh, then they got it up to 13 with a win over Brooklyn last night. Uh, barely made it out of Brooklyn alive, but that's okay. Uh, now they've got the Cupcake Warriors coming in to, into town to push it to 14, correct? I certainly hope so. I certainly <laughs> hope so. Yeah, it should be interesting. We'll get a true test um, for the C's there. 
I think if you would have told either of us in mid-July that this team would be 13-2, and two, about to play the Warriors, you're thinking, okay, we'll, we'll see how this looks. Uh, but you're also thinking about Gordon Hayward probably having a, a great start to the season so far. Um, also, by then, I don't know if we would have known that Kyrie was on the Celtics. That's a whole different issue. Um, but obviously, the, the Gordon Hayward injury happened about five minutes into the season in the first game of the season. Um and from there, it was like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? And now you have this team that, that looks like one of the elite teams in the league without um, an all-NBA caliber player. So what was your first reaction when, when you saw that Hayward injury go down? Uh, well, it was kind of immediately was one of the you know top five uh, horrific sports injuries I've seen live. Um, and then add to that kind of the excitement that I felt for this team uh, going in. So, man, I just, you know, I felt... You know, you kind of feel flushed and you feel so bad for him. And then you're also kind of worrying about, you know, it's a significant enough injury where uh, you do where you start worrying, you know, you can spin out and start worrying about, uh, um, you know, arteries and different things of that nature. So right. immediately, I mean, it was just like, you know, your your heart's in your throat. And, I remember, you know, right after that, I think uh, Cavs went on like a, you know, 15 to 2 run or something. And it just felt like basketball was the last thing on everybody's mind. Um and it was tough. You know, I, I thought they were definitely going to – I kind of predicted that they'd be right around, like, 58 to 60 wins with Gordon. And I thought they were still going to be, a, you know, a hard-playing team in the East and probably 54, 55. But, I mean, uh, it's a crazy turn of events. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even in that game, that game kind of felt like like four different games, to be honest. You had, the, the you know, the hype before the game, oh, first game of the season. Uh, you had the injury itself, which felt, and I mean, time-wise, did take a, a long time. So it felt like its own thing of figuring out what the heck just happened. Uh, then you had the, the, the middle of the game, like you said, where Cleveland was just lapping the Celtics, trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, and then you had this kind of comeback at the end of the game and ended up being sort of a, a, a close, grinded-out win. I think... Looking back on it, you could have figured out a lot about the Celtics team uh, as a result of that of that game. They're, it's just way more than the sum of the parts at this point, uh, where you have guys stepping up in big moments, different guy every night. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been pretty nuts as far as the injury goes. I remember looking at it and being like, well, you know, I mean, mo- most of the guys that I've seen have horrific injuries like that are back. You know, Paul George kind of kicked open the door for for that sort of recovery. But I was texting my friend who's in a sports med program. And he was like, that could be career-threatening because, like you said, it, I mean, you never know what's going to happen with, with the blood vessels and veins that, that get damaged as a result of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I mean, uh, after, yeah, it was just kind of one of those, uh, I, I don't think I've ever had 15 minutes before a game being so excited and about 10, you know, uh, well, five minutes into the game time. You know, just being like, okay, I'm all like, you know, totally turned off. And again, you know, it, it, it took a half an hour, but I was definitely watching as they as they came back and and we saw that even though they turned over a good deal of this roster, you know, eleven new faces, uh, ten, you know, minus Gordon now, but they, they still kind of have that DNA led by Marcus Smart, I think, and uh, Terry Rozier kind of doing the same thing. But they they play hard. They don't uh, concede possessions, which is something I think we see across the NBA. It's just like you're going to have to fight for what you get. Right, right. I mean, 82 times 48, that's a lot of time that you're asking guys to stay dialed dialed in throughout a season, and, and that's, you know, for any human, a, a difficult task, but, but Brad Stevens certainly does a great job with that. My other reaction was, and this is kind of going along with what we're saying, is I had just put in a bunch of over-under bets um, for the Celtics, or for, for the NBA in, in general, and one of them that I passed on was, 
was the Celtics under like 50, 54 and a half wins. And my friend who did was, he's like, I feel guilty that I'm, that I'm going to get this, this easy, easy bet now that the Celtics don't have Gordon Hayward for the season. Uh, but now he's, now he's scared and he'll be, he'll be running from the <laughs> yeah, Sharks cause, come July. Cause you figure we, we got to 53 with even, you know, uh, and again, as, as the rookies have developed and some of these new acquisitions have, we see what we have now. I think we have a more talented roster than we did last year. Um, and last year's team had 53 wins and through, I think the first, you know, 25 games, we were almost at 500, uh, right. 13 and 12 or something, somewhere around there. So, you know, we're, we're way ahead of schedule in terms of regular season wins, but then you get into, you know, what, what do regular season wins mean? Uh, you know, in the grand scheme, you want to be, you know, getting ready to be a real threat in the postseason, and, and I think this group can do it. We, we're obviously going to be limited um, without Gordon, but I mean, it's a it's a really fun group. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into this fun group right now. I mean, the, like you said, eleven new faces, 10, 10 minus uh, Hayward there. But which of those new faces, which of the the kind of surprising guys stepping up amongst the many that the Celtics have to choose from this year, which of those guys has really surprised you the most? Well, I think we're going to go straight surprise, and hopefully we can kind of do a couple layers to this because, uh, you know, if I'm just going to say who surprised me the most, it would definitely be Jason Tatum. I mean, he's a guy I saw a little bit at Duke. I, I usually kind of roll around to March Madness, you know, during the tournament, and Duke didn't really make a tremendous run, so I didn't get to see as much of him as I as I did some other prospects. Um and I knew he was a good offensive player. I knew he was really polished, but I had no idea of his kind of defensive presence and just quite how long he was. Because um, I just thought he was going to be a defensive liability, and he's showing that he's got all those crazy, silky, ISO, um, can get his shot anytime he wants. But then on top of that, he can capably guard, you know, threes and some small ball fours. So it's like, man, he's. That was a great call, you know. I gotta, you know, give Danny Ainge some credit. Yeah, the, front, the whole front office, really. Yeah, it makes you think if they, if they were not able to to offload that one to 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 Philly, would they have drafted Tatum first overall, anyways? Um, and thinking that their whole plan was probably to get rid of Isaiah Thomas, I was like, well, Marco Fultz would be the perfect guy. Obviously, had watched him a lot at Washington, but um, I could not have been more wrong on the on the whole Tatum thing. He is he has been absolutely incredible. I love the way he doesn't waste dribbles. You see a lot of guys in that kind of ISO mode, like mode that you know there's a lot of just dribbling for for no no intended purpose. But everything he's doing is purposeful. He's getting either getting to the basket or coming off of a screen and hitting a shot or hitting an open shot off of a pass. Um, he, he's just a very very efficient player as the as the numbers can can dole out. He's got pretty much fifty fifty splits on from the field and from three right now, which is just. Uh, no one in the league does that, especially rookies. Yeah, and then there was a big knock on him because obviously the, the college three-point line is a little closer and, you know, you don't have to be quite as efficient, you know, at, at the college level just because, you know, Duke just blows the doors off a lot of teams. Um, but, you know, the whole knock was, oh, he can't shoot threes, and, and it just kind of goes to show. is like if a guy can shoot from 19 feet, you know, yeah. chances are with a little bit of practice he can shoot from 22. You know, it's not – uh, they try to make this apples to oranges thing, and and you know scouts need need work too, or you know so they're going to create stories. But I mean, he's just been great. And I like you know the being very efficient with with dribbles because he isn't in that Carmelo mold where it's just pound 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 pound. It's like you know he does it with a lot of shot fakes, 
and really clever footwork to kind of get his shot, like in that mid post area, or it's, you know, uh, shoot, you know, catch and shoot or pump and go, you know, drive the clothes out. So it is a very, um, He's adjusted very well to the games and the extra space in the NBA. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. I mean, the Celtics have the have the license to do this. When you're a team that's that's coming off of a of a conference finals and draft so high, you immediately when you're drafting guys can throw them into their their immediate roles. You're not waiting for them to develop into something. If you want a guy and you think that they can pl- fill a role for you, go ahead. It's right there, and that's I think what they did with Tatum. Tatum at Duke was was really solid from the left corner and the right wing. And where do you think he's shooting all of his threes right now for the Celtics? From the left corner and the right wing. And, and they're going in. Uh, I think the Celtics just have maximized his strengths. And, and he's just a very helpful player. Like uh, He's not a cost whatsoever defensively. The Celtics are uh, near the top of the league defensively with him on the floor or with him off of the floor. Um, and, he, and with them, with Tatum on the floor, they're the number two offensive team in the league, um, which is it's just insane how much they can comfortably rely on this guy. And he's 19. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. And he just and he seems so mature beyond his years. And I mean, there's a thing about like how Larry Hughes is his uh, godfather, and his, his father was a real pretty accomplished like college player and played overseas. So he's just one of these guys where um, the moment's not too big. I think this is he realistically envisioned himself doing this, and now he's doing it, and he's not you know pinching himself like it feels like this is where he thought he would be at 19, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and I think the Celtics culture kind of brings that out uh, in guys that are kind of naturally inclined to to be that that composed, um, but but just it, it's such a locker room in that those type of guys are going to feel even more comfortable and even more um, bought in when they're a part of of the Celtics mission. There, uh, what's what's another big revelation for you? I know you talked about the the, the defensive length of Tatum. Is it surprising to you that the Celtics have been such a good defensive team after subtracting Avery Bradley, who, you know, objectively is probably one of the better on-ball defenders in the league? Yeah, I mean, I always thought of the Celtics, you know, again, like some of these metrics, I I agree and don't, you know, some, some of them I think we're getting a little too far from just like not trusting our eyes. Mm-hmm. And I always thought the Celtics were a really hard-playing group. Um, but I think last year what happened was they just – lacked length at every spot. So even though Avery Bradley was a phenomenal on-ball defender and a pretty good rebounder, too, he's probably one of the bright spots, but like when you look down that line, Amir Johnson playing the five, uh, Jay Crowder playing the three, you know, Jay Crowder probably six, five, six, five and a half, um, and then Isaiah Thomas on the floor very often, and then, you know, kind of softer guys like Jonas Jarebko and Kelly Olenek, who never really lived up to a seven-foot billing. Um, you know, they gave up so many offensive rebounds, had to defend for multiple possessions on, you know, um, on trips down the floor. Right. And then you see kind of that double bounce of like, so we added length. So it's, it's much harder for them to shoot because we're, we're closing in on their airspace. And then also they get fewer opportunities because we're really good at team rebounding and our length really helps us on the defensive boards. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't have predicted that they'd be this good, but, um, that kind of brings me into like the second tier of the guys that I've been impressed with. So I think Jason Tatum kind of takes the cake for me as like that front runner. And then I kind of have this group of like unheralded offseason acquisitions like Aaron Baines, Daniel Tice, and Shane Larkin. And then I kind of add Marcus Morris to that group too. But the two guys that are really helping out on the boards and defensively, I think are Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice. 
uh, you know, given us some strength in the front court. Yeah, I mean, when you have those three guys, and they're, they're, I mean, technically they're all power forwards. You know, you can call Baines a center if you wanted to. Uh, you can call really any of those guys a center in today's NBA. But they're all different versions of the same position. So it's, you know, you have that flexibility to play against different types of teams. With Amir Johnson, Amir Johnson d- just didn't have that sort of flexibility. He was, he was Amir Johnson against everybody. But, you know, when you have a Marcus Morris who can play down, he can be your three, your four, your five, depending on the lineup. Uh, you know, Tice a little bit of versatility as well. You know, Baines is kind of your your guy when you're playing against teams who are going to give you give you trouble. The types of teams you you know the the Detroit's of the world, uh, the San Antonio's of the world that are always going to rebound very well. So I mean, just the whole concept of versatility is just just amplified this year when you know, I, like you said, Crowder, uh, Bradley, those guys were were you know serviceable if not great defenders, depending on which guy you're talking about. But uh, this type this team can just play against so many other types of teams. Uh, than they could last year. Yeah, I really like that, and I think Aaron Baines, what Aaron Baines ended up doing, because, uh, you know, he provides Al Horford some protection, because Al really, really does not like playing against those real true fives. They kind of bully him, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has any problems being the biggest guy on the floor when he's guarding, like, last night in, in um, Brooklyn, he was guarding Trevor Booker, you know, six foot eight, burly kind of power forward who they're playing as a small ball uh, five. Like, I, I think... You know, Al Horford's cool playing him, but when he has to match up with, like, tomorrow night, if he had to match up with Zaza Pachulia or uh, when they play the Wizards, Marcin Gortat or Andre Drummond, like, you got to save Al a little bit. That's not, he's more skilled than he is physical. Right. And Aaron Baines provides him some insurance, and then Daniel Tice is like a kind of an energy big that, you know, contests everything on both sides of the floor, and it's just an absolute pain when he's on the floor because, you know, he's going after offensive boards, he's keeping them honest. And he's got more in his legs than Amir did. Because Amir was, I, I mean, I couldn't believe that, uh, you know, the 76ers p- paid him $11 million, you know. Um, yeah, that, that was and I, and I, that was know. strange. Yeah, I mean, if they could re- replay it, I'm sure they would have tried to keep Nerlens Noel and try to ship out Jaleel Okafor. Because I always thought when we had Amir Johnson, like a much more athletic, better version of Amir Johnson would be Nerlens Noel. And it's mm-hmm. funny how that whole thing played out. But, um, but yeah, we're, I mean... I like these guys. Again, I think we could do for like, you know, maybe a hyper athletic, uh, you know, five. But with those two, it's it's really solid. And I like, you know, the versatility because it is it's a matchup based game, and people fall in love with. Oh, you're a power forward or you're a center, and it's a really, de- you know, it really depends on who you're who you're guarding on the defensive end. Yeah. Well, what's what's great news is the upcoming draft is full of hyper athletic fives. So <laughs> the Celtics have positioned themselves in a way where. We're talking about them as this team that's blowing us away on the floor now, and then are also set up to uh, to inherit some picks in in the the lottery of, of the next couple drafts. So, uh, just <laughs> the news, the embarrassment of riches, just kind of keeps keeps growing for for C's fans here. One last thing I want to talk about, and it's a guy you and I both like, um, but it's just a kind of a brief anecdote. I was watching the the Milwaukee Bucks play the other night, and. Tony Snell's job, Tony Snell starts for the Bucks. He's the 20th overall pick in 2012. His job for the Bucks is to stand in the corner and ex- and wait till threes come. And, you know, Tony Tony Snell's a starter. You're paying him starters, starters minutes. He's a guy that's due for his next contract. Uh, the Celtics, I mean, you know, the, the NBA is set up where you, ha- you have these guys who are just, you know, that's kind of their role, stand in the corner, hit, hit threes at a good clip. The Celtics got semi at the 37th pick, to do basically the same thing that, that Tony Snell does, 
do it better and then also be able to guard more players than Tony Snell can. Um, I, I just think it's the difference between the Celtics and other organizations is, you know, some teams who are kind of on that next next second or third or fourth tier in the NBA, you know, they're counting on these guys who the Celtics have basically one of these guys on uh, throughout their roster. You know, they have the types of guys who um, are key rotational pieces are just kind of, you know, plug and play guys for the Celtics. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's, it seems like the front office is seeing things that other teams are not seeing. Like, um, you know, you think of um, almost like the Moneyball anecdote of starting to, like, you're being able to quantify skills that are overlooked by the rest of the league. Because when they picked Shemi Ojale, I just couldn't believe, because I thought Shemi Ojale was like a more upside to Jay Crowder. And we saw how much Jay Crowder, oh, yeah. Jay Crowder was a real significant chip in getting Kyrie Irving here. So the league is very high on, on Jay Crowder types. And yet when a guy shows skills and what I think is a higher ceiling than Jay Crowder as a raw draft pick, he was overlooked and he fell to us in the 37th pick. So you're just wondering, you know, what's going on, what, what other front offices are thinking, because I do think in a couple of years, you know, like the people in our front office are going to populate many, uh, you know, GM positions around the league because we're just able to find those guys. And then I'd add to that list in just this offseason, Aaron Baines, a guy that was, you know, kind of uh, a, a bench player on a non-playoff team. And then Daniel Tice, who was playing overseas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we got him on a, a veteran's minimum. And he's being a very capable uh, backup big. So Yeah, I mean, if those jobs are going to be open, you might as well update your resume because you scouted Daniel Tice for him, right? Uh, yeah, I was pretty high on Daniel Tice. I saw him play the Spanish team, and so he's going against some real bigs, the Hernan Gomez uh, brothers and uh, the Gasals. And he, I, you know, he was he was playing well. And and they were without uh, the Zipser kid. Oh yeah. So it was him and Dennis Schroeder. He was definitely the second best player on Germany. Um, so. Yeah, that, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's just it's crazy that they they found that guy late in the summer too and added them to the roster, and now he's. Not just a, a guy you throw in there, but a guy that you can you can effectively rely on. Um, we uh, we're gonna head to our last segment here. We're, the Celtics team was not. I mean, if if you would have told me that Gordon Hayward got hurt in the, the fashion that he did, in the 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 timing of the injury, I mean, it's not like it happened over the summer, and you could you could kind of plan this out and say, okay, now Tatum's gonna have a higher role. Now we're gonna lay, lean on J, or Jalen Brown. Uh, for a little bit more of our offense than, than we planned on. It's not like you had time to do that. This literally happened in the first five minutes of the, the first game of the season. And before then, Celtics owner Wick Grosbeck was on was on 98.5 in Boston here talking about the Celtics the day before the season started. And he came on 98.5 and said that the Celtics weren't good enough this season with Gordon Hayward to win a championship, that it was a part of a building process uh, for the next season. So, Knowing all that, and knowing that the the Celtics are are just way ahead of schedule, was this kind of a blessing in disguise? That that if if they weren't really planning on winning a championship anyways this season, that you get to see this sort of development with these young guys and and really build this core, solid looking great for this season and uh, 2018-2019. Yeah, I mean it's funny, you know. Any, I always, I just. I'm, I, t- I take a pause because, you know, we are talking about a guy, like a, pre- a serious injury to a guy that's, you know, seems like a great teammate and, you know, a young father and husband and all that. So that being said, 
But then if you do think about the development of the team, and if you were, you know, Wick Grossbeck, I assume, was kind of, that was a company line, and we're a year away. Oh, totally. So but... I think anytime your development, you know, because the, the guys that I look at that are really stepping in are um, having the opportunity are Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Shemi Ojolet, because those would have been spots like Marcus Morris was going to play, or you were going to have a very surly, unhappy uh, veteran on your team. So Marcus Morris and Gordon Hayward were going to take up a lot of those minutes. And now you kind of have Marcus Morris as a placeholder for Gordon. And he can kind of show, you know, he's on this one, one year kind of sweetheart deal. And I think he can kind of contribute to the reputation of the Celtics of being a great place to go. If you're a veteran, because we're going to showcase your ability you know, he can sign some big contract and then all of a sudden sliding into that role is, you know, former all-star uh, Gordon Hayward. And all of a sudden, Jalen Brown got really meaningful minutes. Shemi Ojale got a ton of meaningful minutes. Jason Tatum comes back as like a leader of the team. So, I mean, I think for, you know, trained on the next four to five years, it's it's definitely going to speed up things. And again, it's, it's, it's um, predicated on Gordon Hayward coming back and, uh, you know, being at full strength. Yeah, definitely, and, and a lot of encouraging news coming out of that camp. I'm, I'm, I know the, the Celtics are being intentionally coy about when, when his recovery date is, partly because I'm, I'm sure they just don't know uh, at this point. It's very early in the process, but um, just the, the positive energy that you're seeing coming out of the, the Gordon Hayward camp um, shows you a lot about, about the state of this team, that there's no no discontent for his decision there. There's no, there's no, you know, animosity for, um, for uh, an, maybe a, a, an errant lob pass from Kyrie that, that might've caused that injury or something like that. There's nothing like that. Uh, so the Celtics culture is, is, is rock solid right now. Uh, and yeah, it was super, super cool that they're keeping him involved and engaged, you know, so he kind of gets to act like a coach. And I think in the future when he's further, further along, you know, he'll be traveling with the team. So it is, it's not like, oh, okay, he got hurt, so now he's going to you know, go back to San Diego and we're going to see him in six months. Mm-hmm. It's like he's going to still grind with them and develop those relationships, and then he's just doing it without the court work. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, we, we might be looking through, through green-colored glasses here, but I think even objectively <laughs> there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of, of holes that you can poke in, in the Celtics right now for – you know how how strong this current team is, how how bright the the immediate future looks, and then um, just the you know the there's really no reason to doubt that this isn't going to last a, a long time out here. I agree. Yeah. With my fingers crossed. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, shake those four leaf clovers. But uh, uh, good to talk to you, man. This is a, a brief one. We probably could have kept this going for for hours and hours after this, but but I'm sure we'll we'll talk uh, talk to you again soon. Yeah, it'll be a good couple weeks because I think we, you know the level of competition kind of bumps up a little bit, um, especially after tomorrow. So yeah, I mean if tomorrow, if you see tomorrow. if you see us beat the Warriors and hear about a, a you know gangly man streaking through Alston, uh, you <laughs> you might know who it is. So uh, it's it's been fun so far, and and we'll see what it looks like against against the Dubs. All right, 